The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. It's another day in Trump's America and therefore another one of these just horrifying, dystopian, authoritarian incidents uh, to tell you about. Donald Trump has fired the head of cybersecurity for the Department of Homeland Security. Why? Because the head of former head of cybersecurity said there was no widespread voter fraud, directly implying Joe Biden really did win. Donald Trump really did lose. We call this reality. We call this the facts. We call this living in the real world. But unfortunately, doesn't work. If you work for Donald Trump, I'm talking about Christopher Krebs, the director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. This is part of the Department of Homeland Security. He reportedly expected to be fired. Consider that for a second. This president's capricious nature and complete intolerance to what are to him inconvenient truths. It's so widely known that his head of cybersecurity expected to be fired for saying the results are real. Joe Biden really won. There was no widespread voter fraud. He anticipated that saying that would get him fired. And the sequence here was that Krebs's agency put out a statement saying we've looked at all of the allegations and we find no evidence of voter fraud in the 2020 election. And the statement included a section that said, quote, the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history. Right now, across the country, election officials are reviewing and double checking the entire election process prior to finalizing the result. When states have close elections, many will recount ballots. All of these states with close results in the 2020 presidential race have paper records of each vote allowing the ability to go back and count each ballot if necessary. This is an added benefit for security and resilience. This process allows for the identification and correction of any mistakes or errors. There is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes or was in any way compromised. Of course, Trump's entire case that he won is based on all sorts of claims of exactly what Christopher Krebs said. There is no evidence of fraud, observers being blocked, votes flipping, votes being deleted via voting machine manipulation. It's the full gamut that Trump has alleged, and it's the full gamut that Christopher Krebs said uh, it didn't happen. Christopher Krebs putting out a statement saying none of those things happened and Donald Trump fires him. Donald Trump then tweeted about this firing, saying, quote, the recent statement by Chris Krebs on the security of the 2020 election was highly inaccurate in that there were massive improprieties and fraud, including dead people voting. That's been debunked. Poll watchers not allowed into polling locations. There were Republican and Democratic poll watchers everywhere. Glitches in the voting machines, which changed votes from Trump to Biden. No evidence of that late voting and many more. No evidence of late voting. Of course, as long as you vote by Election Day, votes can be counted as they arrive after the fact. And then he goes on to say, therefore, effective immediately, Chris Krebs has been terminated as director of the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. 
There is no evidence of any of the things Donald Trump is alleging. These are the things that Donald Trump and his cronies have been claiming. But courts and election officers have so far not found merit to these claims. And indeed, these tweets were flagged by Twitter as being disputed claims about election fraud. It's starting to seem like disputed might not be a strong enough flag for Twitter. I mean, the things that Donald Trump is tweeting, there's no evidence for them. It's it's not merely disputed. It's like if I said humans actually breathe helium, not oxygen, and it pops up. This is a disputed claim about science. Well, it's more than disputed. It's completely vapid. There's no evidence for it whatsoever. But in any case, Twitter flags aside after being fired. Chris Krebs tweeted simply honored to serve. We did it right. Defend today, secure tomorrow. At this point, is being fired by Trump simply for doing your job a sort of badge of honor? Because, it, you know, we've been talking about so many of these hangers on around Donald Trump who have done his lying and his bidding and his, his uh, disinformation uh, spreading. They really deserve to never work again. Kaylee McEnany is an example. We'll talk about her later. People like Corey Lewandowski. Um, you know, Steve Bannon, the, these are people who if we had a fair world where actions had fair consequences, they would never work again. Now, I'm not calling for anybody to starve. They should all have enough to eat. Hell, they should even have health care. But what I'm saying is that their malfeasance is so severe that they should be unemployable by any moral right thinking employer. OK. On the uh, they probably will all get great consulting gigs or media gigs or who knows what. On the other hand, you have people who simply are doing their job. Like, for example, Chris Krebs is in charge of analyzing whether the election took place in a secure fashion or whether there was the widespread fraud that has been alleged. He did his job. He looked at it. There's no it's not even being asserted that Chris Krebs was politically influenced or strong armed by someone or part of some conspiracy to falsely give the election to Joe. It's not even being alleged in any serious way. Maybe some on the Internet are, are alleging that, but it's it's not even an allegation. He simply did his job. And this is the conclusion he came to. And he was fired. He was just you're, you're fired. That's it. You're just gone. Um, is that now I mean, have we fallen so far that 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 is now a badge of honor or some kind? Uh, these are bizarre times that we are living in. And hopefully at a certain point we will get back to a status quo that makes a little bit more sense right now. It really doesn't. And it's horrifying our uh, I don't want to say our current allies, because some of them are, are distanced at this point because of the Trump presidency. But our historical allies are regularly horrified by what is going on in this country. We have to start writing the ship and hopefully I mean, listen, I I'm not going to tell you it will happen, but hopefully the replacement of Donald Trump with Joe Biden will be a start to that uh, an inflection point of sorts. Donald Trump's completely incompetent coronavirus advisor, Dr. Scott Atlas, has now suggested that, you know what, maybe people should should just go ahead and have the big indoor Thanksgivings this year because it might be the last Thanksgiving for lots of people anyway. Now, I read the headline and I thought this can't be true. It can't actually be that bad. Let me look at the video. I then watched the video and it's even worse than the headline when you actually see the complete disregard for human life the complete lack of empathy, the complete lack of understanding. The video is worse than the headline. Let's take a look. And just as a reminder, who the hell is Scott Atlas? Scott Atlas is the doctor that 
when Trump pushed Fauci out from being sort of publicly part of his inner coronavirus circle, appearing with him at press briefings and the like, when Fauci was pushed out, Scott Atlas was brought in. Now, Scott Atlas is not an epidemiologist. He's not an infectious disease doctor. He's not a pulmonologist and immunologist. He's he's a radiologist and he has become Donald Trump's top guy on coronavirus. Why? Because he'll simply go along with anything Donald Trump says. Take a look at this. They're suffering from with isolation. Yep. And this kind of isolation is one of the unspoken tragedies of the elderly who are now being told, don't see your family at Thanksgiving. For many people, this is their final Thanksgiving, believe it or not. What are we doing here? I think we have to have a policy, which I have been advocating, which is a whole person, whole health policy. It's not about just stopping cases of COVID. We have to talk about the damage of the policy itself. So what does the federal government do? It's what I've advised. So that is a neuroradiologist advocating for things. What? This guy is just disgusting. And you know, when I want to talk about infectious disease, I don't typically think to call a radiologist. This is no offense to radiologists. We have a handful of radiologists in our audience that I know about. We probably have more radiologists in our audience that I don't know about. Two of them actually emailed me and they said, David, you know, I don't find it offensive when people say, why the hell is a radiologist up there on Trump's coronavirus task force so prominently? They wrote to me and said, I'm a radiologist. I have no business dictating public health policy during a global pandemic period. Why is Scott Atlas doing anything here is question number one. Stanford University, which is where Scott Atlas was a senior fellow at the Hoover Institution before joining Trump's coronavirus team, has already distanced itself from Scott Atlas's comments. Political observers who have some connection to reality have been criticizing Scott Atlas's presence in this group. And what Scott Atlas doesn't seem to be saying is that we might make this Thanksgiving the last one for lots of people if we hold these huge indoor gatherings, which will spread the virus and will kill people who could have otherwise had many more Thanksgivings. Now, it's also sort of strange. Scott Atlas talks about the elderly. Some of these elderly folks might be on their last Thanksgiving, regardless of whether uh, there was a pandemic or not. Remember that the death rate for coronavirus triples for those in their 60s relative to those in their 50s. And then the death rate almost triples again for those in their 70s relative to those in their 60s. People in their 50s, 60s and 70s often live a long time. Like if you're 59 and you have a significantly higher death rate than those under 50, when he says the elderly might be dying in the next year anyway, is he talking about 59 year olds? Is he talking about 65 year olds? Is he talking about 75? Like, what is he even talking about here when he says this may be the last Thanksgiving anyway for lots of these folks who are at higher risk if they contract coronavirus? Delusional, completely de de delusional. And this is the doctor who has Trump's ear. If you say, well, there's all these different people who are doing good work, uh, um, uh, Peter Hotez and, you know, Dr. Anthony Fauci and our friend Isaac Bogosh, uh, who's in Canada. I mean, the, the, the point is there's so many doctors doing good work and talking sense here. And it's Scott Atlas who has Donald Trump's ear. Once again, it's the worst people. I previously said almost any random American would have better handled coronavirus than Trump. 
And you might be wondering, well, like how would a construction worker or an accountant or a preschool teacher or a dental hygienist like how what do you what do you mean? How would they have handled it better than Trump? Most people would not be so delusional, delusionally narcissistic that they would think they know more than doctors. Most people would just say, wow, I'm in charge of the pandemic. Great. What kind of doctors and public health officials and scientists know about pandemics? Let's turn it over to them and you would end up with a better situation than what we ended up with. Trump did worse than random people by imposing his ignorance and his delusions and his narcissism on the situation. You are seeing the same thing now with Dr. Scott Atlas. Almost any doctor would better handle this. My dentist, who has been my dentist since I was five years old, if you put my dentist in charge, uh, my dentist would immediately say, great, let's bring in an epidemiologist. Let's bring in a public health expert. Let's bring in an infectious disease expert, a pulmonologist, a medical ethic, you know, whatever you guys tell me what to do, what to say, and we'll get it done. Any one of the doctors on Joe Biden's coronavirus task force, even oncologist and medical ethicist Zeke Emanuel would better handle this than the combination of Scott Atlas and Donald Trump. They regularly find the worst people to do the absolute worst things all the time, like clockwork. And remember, one of the selling points about Donald Trump was this is a businessman, sort of like a project manager. He'll hire the best people. He'll put the best people in charge and it's all going to be fantastic. There were very few even ostensible selling points about Donald Trump. The ones that there were were bogus. He's failed on every single one of them, including famously, I will hire the best people and put the best people in, in positions of power. We will be lucky to now get out of this with under, you know, four. We're looking at 400,000 Americans dead by February, maybe even more. We will be lucky to keep the numbers that low. And at one point, remember, Donald Trump said, forget about 15 cases will soon be zero. At one point when this was a thing, Donald Trump was saying we, we might lose 50 or 60,000 people, but it's not going to be more than that. We're looking at 400,000, maybe even half a million. Let me know where you are on the next three months of the virus via Twitter where you can find me at D Pacman. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. I want to let you know that our sponsor Vincero Watches is having a massive holiday sale on all of their products right now, and you can take advantage of it by going to davidpacman.com slash watch. A brand new high quality wristwatch really is the perfect way to add something fresh to your style, whether it's for you or a gift for someone else. Vincero is a brand that has a serious dedication to the craft of watchmaking, which is really evident when you look closely at their watches. I wear Vincero watches myself. Lately, I've been wearing one from their Icon Automatic collection. It's the mesh matte black watch, and I love the sleek, minimalist design. Their watches are actually sold at a fair price. Their mission has always been to make a wristwatch from high end materials, but one that everyday people can afford. And that's why they have over twenty five thousand five star reviews, because you won't find a better made watch for this great of a price anywhere else. You can get big holiday discounts on all of their products right now and free shipping when you go to davidpackmancom slash watch. I've put the link in the podcast notes. 
One of our sponsors today is Magic Spoon. The reason I'm such a fan of Magic Spoon is they allow me to enjoy the delicious breakfast cereals I loved as a kid without all the sugar and without the unhealthy ingredients, because Magic Spoon makes breakfast cereal that you really can't tell apart from those tasty sugary cereals that we all know. But each serving of Magic Spoon has no sugar, three net carbs and 11 grams of protein. So it's perfect for someone on a low carb keto diet. Just anybody trying to eat healthier and cut back on the sugar. You can choose from cocoa, frosted, fruity, cinnamon, blueberry or peanut butter. They all taste amazing. And Magic Spoon now lets you create your own customized variety pack with the flavors you choose. They really do stand by their product and will refund 100 percent of your money if you don't love it. No questions asked. Go to magicspoon.com slash Pacman to build your own custom variety box today and be sure to use promo code Pacman to get free shipping. The link is in the podcast notes. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Our uh, little program here is mostly funded by viewers and listeners through the membership program. You can sign up at joinpacman.com. Quick, easy. You get a daily extra show produced just for our members. And you can take advantage of the coupon code Fresh Start, all one word, all lowercase, Fresh Start. Uh, saves you hugely off of the cost of a new membership. Apply the code Fresh Start to the membership of your choice. Or don't. It's up to you at joinpacman.com. Yesterday, we briefly discussed this story on the bonus show. And in the hours following the recording of yesterday's bonus show, the story has exploded now with corroboration. So let me kind of uh, tell, tell you what's going on here. And it is it's it's wild. A staffer for Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said yesterday that on a phone call with Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, Lindsey asked could state officials throw out some ballots to help Donald Trump win the state of Georgia? This is not an anonymous source. This is election implementation manager Gabriel Sterling, who has come forward and said, yeah, I heard the same thing that Brad Raffensperger heard. So this is now corroboration. The story, as we knew it yesterday morning, was that Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger said, you know, I had a phone call with Lindsey Graham and Lindsey Graham seemed to be implying, um, let's see if you can throw out some ballots. And he was referring, of course, to absentee ballots, which skew heavily in favor of President Joe Biden in the state of Georgia, as is the case in many states. So that was the initial claim from Brad Raffensperger. Lindsey denied the claim, saying it's ridiculous. I didn't do it. I wasn't trying to get ballots thrown out or anything like it, even though Raffensperger seemed very, very clear uh, about what he heard from Lindsey Graham. Lindsey Graham saying, hey, you know, if there was political bias, maybe poll workers accepted ballots that they shouldn't have. What if we find some ballots and we identify some counties and we toss them out if we find that there's a high rate of non matching signatures? And Raffensperger reported being stunned that Lindsey Graham was suggesting this and uh, said it sure seemed as though Lindsey Graham was trying to go down that road. So 
That was the, the initial claim. And Lindsey Graham denied it. And then now again, uh, Gabriel Sterling has said I was on that phone call. I heard the exact same thing from Lindsey Graham. So we found the attempted voter fraud, guys. The calls are coming from inside the House. It's Lindsey Graham saying, how about we toss some ballots in the trash? Graham has said all along, oh, I was trying to find out how does Georgia election law work? <laughs> does anybody believe that? And Graham also, when asked about this, said the president didn't urge me to do this. Now, that's one of those meaningless political statements that it, it could. The letter of that could be true, but in spirit, it might be a complete and total lie. When Lindsey Graham, I mean, listen, maybe Lindsey Graham came up with this idea on his own. Maybe Donald Trump came up with the idea, but Lindsey Graham might well be right by the letter that Trump never urged. Trump never called Lindsey and said, listen, call Georgia, ask them to throw ballots in the trash. The way these things would work is that a Trump staffer suggests to Lindsey Graham, what would happen if you were to get on the phone with Brad Raffensperger and see what they might be able to do? This is like, um, you know, in Argentina and other countries, my experience is with Argentina. Sometimes there are corrupt police in Argentina and, you know, you might get pulled over and a police officer starts with, oh, you know, I not only were you speeding, but I think that uh, your your brake light is messed up and I think that there's too much pollution coming from your tailpipe. I don't know. I might have to get uh, backup down here and, you know, blah, blah. and then you say the, the code. You don't say, can I bribe you? Right. You say, wow, that's really inconvenient. Is there some other way I might be able to resolve this today? Could we figure out a way to resolve this right now? And then this game is played of, well, what did you have in mind? Or right. That's the way politics is done. It's not Lindsay. It's Donald. Tell them to throw ballots out. So Lindsay saying he wasn't urged by Trump is completely meaningless. Now, is this illegal? I, I actually don't know. <laughs> I mean, is is the suggestion from Lindsey Graham, if it were proven, is it against the law? It sounds like it should be, but I really don't know. And you just had to know that once Republicans started screeching about voter fraud, it was them who it, they were the ones who were going to try to commit it. It's projection. And many people have written to me saying, David, Brad Raffensperger is a Republican. Why is he why is he going public and throwing Lindsey Graham under the bus? Yeah, Raffensperger is a Republican, but he probably realizes there's really no way to just throw out large batches of legal ballots. Even if he had an idea of how he might be able to throw out some batches of ballots, Raffensperger probably realizes that the risks dramatically outweigh the rewards, especially since flipping Georgia, if he was able to do it, wouldn't actually uh, give Donald Trump a presidential win in the Electoral College. And in order for Raffensperger to get himself out of possible trouble, Maybe he's decided to just go public and throw Lindsey Graham under the bus. Now, there's one other possibility. Maybe Raffensperger is just acting with integrity instead of hyperpartisanship. I'm so conditioned not to assume that that I'm mentioning that second. But it's conceivable that Raffensperger is just acting with integrity here. Now, one other thing we and others are calling this the real voter fraud. This really isn't voter fraud. This is election fraud, which is the real fraud we have to worry about. Voter fraud is this retail strategy that Republicans and Trump 
have been crying about someone trying to vote twice, someone showing up and saying I'm, I'm giving the name of a dead person and casting a ballot or submitting a bunch of fake absentee ballots. That's really inefficient. Those are stupid ways to try to steal an election. What we're talking about here is election fraud, which is abusing the law, trying to do mass disenfranchisement of voters. This includes stuff like using weak signature laws to throw out votes from people with maybe black sounding names or Hispanic sounding names or whatever, maybe people from poor areas, intimidating people at the polls, doing voter purges. That's election fraud. And that's really the concern. And if this is true about Lindsey Graham, what is being alleged, it should be career ending. It it should be indictment gardening, garnering, to be perfectly frank. But nothing matters anymore to this party. And more than likely, Lindsey Graham is going to get away with this. I hope I'm wrong, but I think he will get away with it. You might imagine that faced with a large defeat in the 2020 election, Donald Trump's press secretary and senior campaign advisor, Kayleigh McEnany, would be quietly preparing to ride off into the sunset to some media gig, to some consulting gig somewhere. Joe Biden is likely going to end up with 306 electoral votes, just like Donald Trump had in 2016. But unlike Donald Trump, who lost the popular vote by three million, Joe Biden is on track to win the popular vote by five, five point five, maybe even six million votes when all of the counting is done. But it's not stopping Kayleigh McKenney. She will not stop humiliating herself. And we're going to look at some clips today. I'm wondering maybe whether there's a long game that she's playing here, like maybe Kaylee has the sense or she's been told if you can keep this up uh, at some point in his next endeavor, Donald Trump is going to give you a really cushy gig gig, because quite frankly, I don't know how else we can understand why she's behaving in this way. Maybe I'm trying to apply logic where there is no logic. Let's see what you think after you see these clips. So to start with last night, Donald Trump and many Republicans were hopeful that Wayne County in Michigan was not going to certify their election results, just that one county. Uh, and because the Trump campaign has had no victories so far, speaking you know, legal victories, they were starting to say, wow, Wayne County won't certify. We won. Here is Kaylee McKenney cheering it with Sean Hannity last night. Wayne County canvassers say we cannot certify this election because of these witnesses. They're real people. And one reporter tweeted out, this is the first time in my 20 year history I've ever seen something like this. A county commission refused to certify. It's because for the first time you have a president for fighting for the forgotten men and women in Detroit and Philadelphia and Democrat cities across the nation. Now, unfortunately for her, these claims about Wayne County were bogus. And within minutes of Kaylee saying this to Sean Hannity, Wayne County did certify the election as they should have. And Michigan is now uh, a closed book, essentially. Then we go from talking about Michigan to talking about Pennsylvania. As you may have heard, Rudy Giuliani uh, yesterday went over the line from just being Donald Trump's TV lawyer to actually arguing before a court. Uh, it reportedly was a huge embarrassment. But here is Sean Hannity saying, I heard Rudy was brilliant in court yesterday. All right. In Pennsylvania, I, Rudy Giuliani argued the case today. I've heard from more than a few people that he was absolutely brilliant in his arguments today. What's the status of that? 
So the idea of Rudy being brilliant in court at this point is hilarious. And we later heard that Rudy made no sense at all in court yesterday. At one point, Rudy Giuliani apparently raised the idea that some kind of mafia like organization stole the election for Joe Biden in court. Rudy Giuliani brought this up. And it was reportedly a legal embarrassment for Giuliani. Let's continue. Here is Kaylee McKenney holding up papers again. It's almost a requirement now. If you go on TV to argue that Joe Biden stole the election, you have to hold up affidavits. And Sean Hannity mentions this and says, Kaylee, show them how the pages aren't really blank, like some people said. These papers, these affidavits, 234 pages of sworn affidavits under penalty of perjury. By the way, Kaylee County, what did CNN say about when you held them up on this program? Didn't they accuse you of holding up blank sheets? That's right. They, they did about a 10 minute monologue saying these were blank. They're not blank. In fact, these pages of paper from one county were the reason that you had a county level Wayne County canvasser say we cannot certify this election because of these witnesses. They're real people. Now, of course, they did certify. And the issue isn't whether the pages are blank. It's that the stuff on the pages is absolute and complete nonsense. So that was last night. I think um, that last night she was senior campaign advisor on the Sean Hannity program. Now, this morning, Kaylee went back on Fox News, this time on Fox and Friends. And today she was no longer Trump campaign senior advisor. Today she was White House press secretary and host Brian Kilmeade clarifies that this is a game they play. Thanks so much, Griff. Meanwhile, let's bring in Kaylee McEnany. She's functioning with us today as the White House press secretary. So today she's White House press secretary on Fox News. Remember last week on Fox and Friends, she was not White House press secretary. Last week on Fox and Friends, she was Trump campaign senior advisor. So when they asked her questions about what does Trump believe about this or that last week, she said, oh, that really would be a question for the White House, which, of course, she is the spokesperson for the White House. But last week she was not appearing in that capacity. Um, The question here, it's completely Kafka esque is the way I would describe it here. uh, Kaylee was asked about Donald Trump canceling his Thanksgiving trip to his resort in Florida. Um, And Kaylee frames it as he's hard at work. Now, the truth is Trump is in a bunker mentality. He's not being seen in public. Maybe he'll take questions today. We've not seen him uh, take questions for weeks at this point in time. But Kaylee says he's just so hard at work. He's going to stay at the White House. Uh, So, Kaylee, we know the president and Melania, the first lady, are going to celebrate Thanksgiving there at the White House. I know normally they go down to Mar-a-Lago. I know they're going to pardon the turkeys. Why they decide to stay in D.C. this year? Well, the president's hard at work. Um, he's hard at work on COVID, among other issues, uh, drawing down our number of troops in Afghanistan and Iraq, bringing our men and women home. Um, he's hard at work, um, and so he's staying here at the White House, and it will be a lovely Thanksgiving for him and the First Lady um, here in the White House. All right, do you think we'll hear from the president soon? Uh, perhaps. That's up to President Trump. Um, you know, sometimes he'll make the decision to come out on any given moment, but I, I'm sure you'll hear from him at the right moment. Now, Donald Trump has not been hard at work. When you look at Donald Trump's schedule this week, you see that he has had nothing on his schedule other than golf and lunch with Mike Pence. And it's been weeks since he's taken any questions from the media. Just a couple more clips here. Kaylee dismisses the public health guidelines uh, about slowing the spread of coronavirus as Orwellian when they bring up uh, at Fox and Friends the fact that we have 
cartoonishly high numbers of coronavirus cases. Well, um, but we know all across the country, Kaylee, uh, cases are spiking, uh, unfortunately. And this is the week before Thanksgiving when families are going to be together. And there are a number of governors who are suggesting, look, you don't need to be in a in a big group, uh, particularly if people are outside your bubble. What do you think of these suggestions and guidelines some of the governors have given in advance of this because it is a super contagious disease. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the guidelines you're seeing are Orwellian. Um, let me start by saying the CDC has put out considerations as we prepare to go about Thanksgiving, about socially distancing, wearing masks, doing what you can. There's a whole list, a page of very good considerations. And in that, they say, uh, we're not recommending a certain number of people, but we are giving considerations that you should put in place. It's Orwellian now to do what every sensible country is doing. That's really something. And then here, Kaylee McKenney continues talking about a second Trump administration as if we're just weeks from Donald Trump being sworn into a second term job, uh, a stockpile that was left empty uh, by Obama Biden that he's filled up since then. Uh, he's left an infrastructure in place uh, where covid can be handled. Um, and we believe that uh, we will do so going forward in a second Trump administration. All right. OK. And <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's not much else to say about that. And then lastly, of course, White House press secretary Kaylee McKenney will not commit to a peaceful transfer of power. If the president doesn't win and Joe Biden is, it's proven that he is the elected president, what happens with the transfer of power? Will, will it be peaceful? Look, this president has always said um, he will engage in a peaceful transfer of power if the facts bear out that way. But the president believes, and so too uh, do many others, that if every legal vote is counted, uh, he will remain president. He's pursuing litigation. Uh, but this president always wants what's in the best interest of our country. So day after day, another embarrassment, another humiliation. And I do hope that once Joe Biden selects a press secretary for his administration, the relationship between press secretary and and the country will normalize. It's been hysterical and histrionic during the Trump administration. It was that way with Sean Spicer. Was there somebody there was somebody in between? Oh, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I, how could I forget? Um, and now with Kaylee McKenney, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And hopefully we'll see something a little bit more normal during the Joe Biden administration. Follow us on Instagram for more on this and other stories. I'm on Instagram at david.pacman, and you can also follow the show at David Pacman Show. The David Pacman Show at davidpacman.com. Privacy.com is one of our sponsors, and they're giving you $5 just for using their free service at privacy.com slash Pacman. Privacy is a service I've been using for a while now. I love it. It saves me a bunch of headaches. It's completely free, and it's very quick to set up. And here's how it works. When you pay for something online or over the phone, instead of exposing your real credit card number, privacy lets you generate virtual card numbers. The payments are withdrawn from your checking account, but your real card number stays completely private and you do it all with one click. You can autofill the card number in your web browser on the phone. You can create 12 virtual cards a month. You can set spending limits, freeze them, delete them whenever you want. I especially love it for free trials where you need to give a credit card number 
because I can destroy the virtual card number as soon as I give it to the company and I know I won't be charged in the future. If you're ordering food over the phone, why do I need to give a restaurant my real card number if I don't have to? Companies don't have to know who you are. Your real credit card number is protected from the data breaches that happen, unfortunately, more often than we would like. And it's completely free. They do have a paid version with different tiers where you can create more virtual credit card numbers per month, cashback rewards, extra security features. But go ahead and sign up for the free service. It's a no brainer. Companies can't charge you unexpectedly. You're protected from identity theft. It costs you nothing. And privacy is giving you $5 to spend just for signing up when you go to privacy.com slash Pacman. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. One of the things I make a priority on the show is not to perpetuate stigma for things that don't deserve it. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about many things where we should all just be respectful adults, period, and we would be better off. And Blue Chew can increase performance and give you that extra confidence you may be looking for. Bluechew.com, blue like the color blue, is the first chewable with the same FDA approved ingredient as in Viagra and Cialis. It can be taken day or night, even on a full stomach, since it's chewable. Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed doctors. You don't have to go to a doctor's office. You don't have to wait in line at a pharmacy. It ships right to your door in a discreet package. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, it's cheaper than a pharmacy. And best of all, no more awkwardness. We've got a special deal for our viewers and listeners. Go to bluechew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our promo code Pacman. That's P A K M A N. Pay just $5 shipping. That's B L U E chew.com. Promo code Pacman to try it totally free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them for sponsoring the David Pacman Show. Welcome back to the David Pakman show. All right. Today we are going to be speaking with senior advisor for the Joe Biden for president campaign, Cristobal Alex, who uh, has worked on uh, you've been working on campaigns for a long time. I mean, you're not you're not new to this. That's right. I'm a, I'm a bit of an old timer. You can tell from my grades. I've had a, a couple <laughs> of these campaigns behind me. I'm a viejito. They call me in the campaign. <laughs> so let's I want to talk. Let's start maybe by talking about the Latino vote. I've been speaking on my show, but also with my audience over on my Spanish language show on the Estrella Network about the Latino vote and the growing importance demographically of the Latino vote in the United States. I was slightly disappointed, but not altogether surprised that a higher share of the Latino vote did not go to Joe Biden. Now, I know that there's a number of ways that we could spin this. We could look at specific states. We could look at sort of the range of, of the vote uh, of the Latino vote that typically goes to the Republican candidate. And certainly what Donald Trump got is within that range. But is there any disappointment on your side that it was not um, an even more overwhelming victory for Joe Biden um, among that group? You know, I'll say that we're very proud of the work of the campaign and all of the work that preceded the campaign in critical battleground states around the country, decades of organizing work uh, from young people from immigration rights organizations to Puerto Rican organizations to others that have led to this election, which I think is a, uh, 
uh, an important moment if you look at the trajectory of building Latino political power. I think we're approaching a high watermark. And uh, yes, uh, the Latino community, as, as you know better than anybody, is, is not a monolith. And so we do want to look more specifically at data from states or even within states. And, you know, when we set out uh, in the general election with our Latino program, we set a goal to match the high watermark of the 2012 Obama-Biden re-election campaign that hit 71 percent of the Latino vote. We are just about there. As the, as the numbers are, are calculated and tabulated, we're at about 70, 71 percent range right now. In some of the more crucial uh, 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 battleground states, that's nationally, if you look at some of the, if you drill down a little bit, you look at a place like Wisconsin, for example, where we had a uh, 100,000 plus Latino vote turnout. In those places, Latinos uh, really exceeded that, hitting almost 80%. If you look at Maricopa County, when we flipped Arizona, or in, in Pima County, you're looking at over 80%, some places 85% of the, of the vote. Um, it's also the reason why um, you know, we kept, uh, we flipped Arizona, that's why we kept Nevada, that's why we elected a United States Senator, Latino United States Senator uh, in New Mexico. Uh, and, and, and if you look at Pennsylvania, a huge surge of Latino voters, a lot of Boricua, a lot of Puerto Ricans there. And again, uh, because of the hard work that preceded the campaign, and, and proudly, I will say, because of the campaign's significant investments, over $100 million uh, to reach Latino voters, you know, we exceeded uh, almost that 80% mark in, uh, in Pennsylvania. Again, proving to be the margin of difference. We're very excited about that. Yeah. Okay. Good. So those are some good examples. I mean, let's let's now talk about one that that's an area of concern to me. We've known for a long time that uh, while uh, the the American Latino voter community is not a monolith, uh, one of the it is a very left. Uh, community in total, with the notable exception of Cuban Americans. And we know about this sort of anti Castro reflexive thing and fears of so-called socialism, which will often influence particularly Florida Cuban Americans to vote at higher levels for Republicans than than we see in other states. It would be huge, would it not, to be able to bring over more of that Cuban American community in Florida, because with without Florida, the map for Republican Republicans nationally gets systemically very, very difficult. And I'm wondering what you think it will take to bring over more Cuban American voters. That's a great question. Um, you know, I'll start by saying, uh, you know, Miami Dade um, and, and, and South Florida um, a true battleground, and we uh, we fought very hard and competed for every single voter uh, there. And and uh, you know we we did win uh, by a good margin the Latino vote in Florida. We've got some work to do uh, with with Cubans um, and also uh, Venezuelans and others. And if you look a little deeper, I think um, you know uh, President Elect did very well with younger voters, uh, young Latino voters, especially those were a very high uh, uh, vote share for us. Um, but we've got some work to do with, with some of the older voters, especially the Cuban voters. And, you know, I'll say it, it's hard to compare this election to 2016 when Secretary Clinton uh, got a lot of um, support from the Cuban community. Part of the reason for that was, if you remember the, 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 the presidential primary in 2016 on the Republican side, Donald Trump spent a lot of time uh, attacking Marco Rubio, for example, uh, among other things that, that brought down his 
percentage uh, among Cuban voters. But as you pointed out, that um, usually a higher percent goes Republican there. So we are going to do some work there. And I think part of it we'll see um, uh, trending uh, in our direction very soon is, um, you know, once a president-elect Joe Biden and, and, and uh, takes office uh, along with his vice president Kamala Harris, we're going to do a lot of work uh, um, to make sure that we can expand democracy uh, in Cuba, uh, th that we strengthen relationships uh, throughout Latin and Central America, and make sure that we're doing the things that we need to do uh, uh, that will eventually, uh, again, this is going to be good policy, but eventually will yield uh, a better percentages in some of these communities uh, when we look at the politics of it. Yeah, you, you mentioned that this year, Donald Trump was not attacking Marco Rubio in the way that he was in 2016. One of the other differences I noticed, and I wonder if you if you think this is relevant electorally, is that merely by chance, not because Donald Trump's views have become more enlightened, but merely by chance, there was much less discussion about Mexican rapists and criminals in the last six months. There was much less discussion about the wall, although at rallies, Trump would say, the wall is being built and Mexico is paying for it. Obviously, both lies by by sheer distraction, it seems from what's been going on. Trump did less of that. And I'm wondering if that also ended up helping him a little bit in the end. Yeah, that's a great question. I've, I've wondered that myself. And, you know, uh, I, I did expect a lot more of the typical uh, vitriol uh, demagoguing Latino communities, especially immigrants. And it was there, no doubt, uh, just not um, on the front page or the first thing out of his mouth uh, that we would see in 2018 or in 2016. Right. Uh, you know, part of the reason for that uh, is, is undoubtedly the fact that uh, our country is facing uh, a pandemic uh, and, and the economy is, 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 is in bad shape, again, because of Donald Trump's failed leadership. And that was top of mind for voters. And he tried very hard, no doubt, to to try and make the election anything about himself or his failed leadership. Um, but at the end, it becomes a referendum um, on his handling of COVID, his complete and utter uh, failure there. And so it was hard for him to, uh, to turn that script. Now, um, I will say, uh, even though he spoke uh, perhaps less about immigrants uh, and, and, and didn't attack Latinos and immigrants as much as he did previously, his administration wasted no time in trying to to do harm uh, to the communities. And uh, one of the first things that you will see uh, president-elect when he becomes president, uh, Joe Biden do, is undo much of the harm that Donald Trump and his administration has done. Yeah, so I want to talk about that next. So let's get into that. We, we've started to see this list of day, possible day one executive orders. We've heard about getting back in the WHO, Paris climate transmilitary ban. Maybe something can be done in terms of the trade relationship with China via executive order. And there's this question mark around DACA and and dreamers. What is the, the day one plan? What can be done via executive order with that program? Quite a bit, uh, actually. And, um, our new uh, chief of staff, White House chief of staff, Ron Klain, uh, last week talked about some of those day one priorities. And uh, uh, one of those uh, is very important to Joe Biden uh, and Kamala Harris uh, is protecting dreamers. So there will be executive action on day one. Um, and there will also be um, an immigration bill uh, that includes uh, obviously dreamers and, uh, and, and, and their families and, and, and a pathway to citizenship, a roadmap to citizenship for the 11 million undocumented in this country. That's, that's gonna happen uh, right away. Uh, now, of course, we're gonna have to do 
a lot of work to get the immigration bill passed, but through executive action, there's going to be a very swift undertaking to protect to protect dreamers. Yeah, I, I think that if Democrats don't take the Senate tax reform and the health care expansion that Joe Biden wants to do, I think they don't happen. I do think that because um, some of these immigration issues are actually relevant to some Republican senators, I, I think that the chance of doing something on immigration is slightly higher if Dem even without having the Senate. But a lot is riding on those races in Georgia, isn't it? A lot's riding on those races. And what I will say is um, we're, we're hopeful. Uh, and again, you saw Georgia uh, turning blue. You're seeing a, a record enthusiasm, a record vote there, a very diverse electorate. All of those things uh, bode well. Um, but I, I think it's important to remember Joe Biden uh, has a very distinguished public service career in the Senate. Uh, he knows how to work across the aisle to get big things done uh, for America, whether that was um, uh, beating the NRA not once but twice, uh, pushing for the very first climate change legislation when he was in the Senate, whether that was advocating and, and, and getting past the Violence Against Women's Act. I mean, the list goes on and on. He does very well in these situations. I mean, healthcare again, uh, the ACA, another prime example of, of him uh, working hard uh, uh, and, and, and being able to, to get things done with Democrats and with Republicans. And so you can expect for major pieces of legislation like that for Joe Biden to do what he does best, which is to to work with others, to unify not just our country, but to but to unify our government to tackle these major challenges. Yeah, I don't doubt for a second Joe Biden's ability, willingness and interest to do that. Uh, I just think it's naive to think these Republicans are going to participate in anything that doesn't obviously and completely benefit uh, what what they've la laid out as their priorities. I think the Republican Party has changed dramatically, but I remain cautiously optimistic. My, I think the concern among some in the progressive left is what would Joe Biden have to compromise in order to get some of these Republicans on board? You know, I here's the thing. I as a progressive myself, um, you know, I think what what we need to remember here is the country is on this precipice right now. Mm -hmm. and, uh, as Joe Biden talked about this uh, during the campaign, in our darkest times, uh, our nation has been able to come together and, and, and achieve the greatest good. Uh, if you look at some of the moments in history, whether it's coming out of the Great Depression, whether it's coming out of World War II, uh, um, we're able to, 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 to come together and, and, and do amazing things. Um, and I know it sounds naive, but I am uh, optimistic that we are at one of these moments now where we're going to have to do, um, we're going to have to, number one, get this pandemic, the, the virus under control. But then there's an opportunity, uh, and, and partly because we have to, to rebuild this economy. And there are a lot of major components that will go into that, including uh, major investments. Uh, again, we'll, we're going to work uh, with Republicans and, and, and conservatives and progressives and independents uh, and, and all Americans to get this done. But we need to be able to rebuild the economy. We need to make sure that we get climate change under control. Uh, and there's ways where we can uh, build millions of jobs in this country that are that are green jobs. And, and so that's part of it. And that's one of the things we need to do. And the other is, you know, with all of the uh, the, the, the racial justice issues that are now getting uh, a lot of the attention that they that they deserve, uh, there's going to be a way to address some of these systemic uh, uh, racial issues in our country. Again, 
even though we're dealing with this pandemic and having to rebuild this economy, there are opportunities within that to address some of these things. And we're yeah, I mean, it. no, uh, no, no disagreement for me in terms of the stakes or the priorities. Um, skepticism, significant skepticism about the, the current Republican Party as a, as a participant in that. Uh, but but we we will we will very soon start to see how it plays out. We've been speaking with Cristobal Alex, who is a senior advisor for the Joe Biden for president campaign. I really appreciate your time today. Oh, it was an honor. Thanks for having me. The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. If you love feeding your intellectual curiosity, but you're always struggling to find the time, check out one of my all time favorite apps called Blinkist. Blinkist lets you consume an entire book on your way home from work. They take thousands of popular nonfiction books, condense each one into text or audio that you can get through in just 15 minutes and you get all of the important core ideas and information from that book. It's perfect if you don't have enough time to do all the reading you want to do or if you just want to sample a book before you buy the entire thing. I recently read A Brief History of Time, of course, by the great Stephen Hawking. This is a book that I have been aware of for so long and other things got in the way and it was fantastic to check it out on Blinkist. Blinkist has books on politics, philosophy, science. They have 27 different nonfiction categories and a subscription is only about eight bucks a month and you get access to the entire library. But you can try it totally free and get 25 percent off a subscription when you go to Blinkist.com slash Pacman. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T dot com slash Pacman. The David Pacman Show at DavidPacman.com. This is super interesting. In the last few days, there have been some tweets floating around and articles saying that the American right has now gone from the war on Christmas to the war on Thanksgiving as a sort of replacement to the non-existent war on Christmas that they've been touting for like a decade at this point. So as a reminder, the war on Christmas is supposed hostility to Christmas and to Christians that the right says exists in the United States by the left. And it mostly this stems from the idea that a few years ago um, uh, there there have been since a few years ago, there have been many people saying, you know, saying happy holidays is more inclusive than saying Merry Christmas when you don't know somebody's religion. Listen, if you're a Christian and you know you're talking to a Christian, say say Merry Christmas. It might be more inclusive, like at Starbucks, for example, or maybe at a place of work or whatever to say happy holidays. That's it. That's the genesis and the catalyst for the so-called war and war on Christmas that the right has been talking about now for a decade. We have uh, Thanksgiving coming up here in the United States during a global pandemic. And so there are more and more governors and state public health officials saying you really shouldn't have large indoor gatherings at Thanksgiving. That's how the virus spreads. And in fact, even at this point in time, most contagion is happening inside people's homes, either between family members or friends who are spending time uh, in close proximity to each other in indoor spaces. We know the virus spreads more indoors than outdoors. We know that being around someone for hours rather than minutes is more likely to spread it. We're closing in potentially on 200,000 cases per day in a few weeks. Yesterday we had 1600 deaths. So especially 
with vaccines hopefully coming soon, it seems this is a time to be careful rather than reckless. So the war on Christmas right wingers have now taken the opportunity to claim that the left is waging a war on Thanksgiving. Here's one short clip. This is a guy named Charlie Kirk, who shockingly is sometimes promoted by Donald Trump and others. Take a look at this. The left has always hated Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving can be interpreted as a religious holiday if you believe in giving thanks to a creator. But they hate Thanksgiving because they believe there is nothing you should be thankful for in America. This is an awful place. It is cancerous, rotten to the core. Tear it all down. Burn it from within. Why would you be thankful? Instead, we need a revolution. Remember, as the Students for a Democratic Society radicals once wrote in the 1960s, they said, conflict is the origin of everything. What happens when you're thankful? By definition, you're less likely to be involved and engaged in conflict. Thanksgiving is supposed to de-escalate any sort of pre-existing issues in our country. And now they're using the virus as an excuse for you not to be thankful. We'll be right back. Now, Charlie clearly is just upset that he's still not allowed to sit at the adult table at Thanksgiving. They're keeping him at the kids table and he's just absolutely furious. But everything he's saying is completely untrue. The left has never been opposed to being thankful. The questions about Thanksgiving were never religious. They were more about acknowledging that Thanksgiving has another side to it, just like Columbus Day, which is the genocide of Native Americans by early American settlers. But that's not even the issue here. What I want to remind you is that the entire war on Thanksgiving thing is not new. They're now. So the, the point here is they now are acting as though this is a fact based reaction to guidelines around the pandemic. A year ago, there was no pandemic and they were still talking about a war on Thanksgiving. Check this clip out from Fox News last Thanksgiving, more than a year ago. Prepare their travel plans and dinner menus for Turkey Day, otherwise known as Thanksgiving. Cancel culture has turned on the holiday. The Huffington Post seriously suggesting Americans skip spending time with family instead for going travel to save our planet. Here to react, comedian Michael Loftus. Michael, great to see you as always. Let's put on a screen the title of this article. It is yeah. called The Environmental Impact of Your Thanksgiving Dinner. And here's what they want to get rid of. Cue full screen. They want to take turkey out of the turkey dinner because of your carbon footprint. Cut down on travel for both yourself and your food. I'm often interested in my food's travel. And <laughs> pare down the endless sides and apps. Now, when I heard this, all joking aside, I got viscerally angry because to me, this is the latest attempt to tear down an American tradition that was fine and didn't need any help. What say you? Amen, brother. Cut it out. That is not a skit. That is a real segment from Fox News. Uh, from last year. Here is another Fox News segment from last year. We've heard about the war on Christmas, but now college students are declaring a war on Thanksgiving. Forget the war on Christmas. The left is now going after Thanksgiving. This was Pitts' The War on Thanksgiving. They want to fight a war on Thanksgiving. They lost the war on Christmas. <laughs> they want to fight again. PC police, well, they have a new target. Thanksgiving. Cancel culture has turned on the holiday. Cancel Thanksgiving dinner. Very sad to announce. We have to cancel Thanksgiving. All across America, a growing number of students and professors claim we need to throw away our turkeys. No turkey, 
No traveling. Cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes are bad for the planet. We need to cancel Thanksgiving. Cancel Thanksgiving. Telling America to cancel, cancel Thanksgiving. Cancel Thanksgiving and control how many kids you have. I'm not making this up. So there's a few things going on here. First of all, money is being made by these people just creating anger among their followers for anything. There's actually lots to be angry about. We have food lines in Texas this week in one of the richest countries in the world. We have a president who has stopped doing anything as a global hundred year pandemic is raging. He's had nothing on his schedule for a week. We could have health care for everybody, but we don't like there, there's no shortage of things to be mad about. But none of that anger would be useful to the American right. So instead, they get people fired up about these inane non issues and conspiracy theories. Joe Biden stole the election. There's a war on Thanksgiving, and that is horrifying. But it is a very lucrative grift for them. And then the irony of it, if you can call it that, is that they are actually doing what they claim the left is doing. In other words, they say the left wants people mad about either Christmas or Thanksgiving or whatever. That's not true. They want people mad at the left, though, about the non-existent attacks on Christmas and Thanksgiving that they claim exist. exist. They are doing what they falsely claim the left is actually doing. It's just more projection and it's not going to stop anytime soon. Hey, this is kind of funny. I was on the Dr. Phil show like I didn't go anywhere, but a clip of the show was on the Dr. Phil show. And this is really funny. It ended up being very underwhelming. I'm going to play the clip for you. Um, Dr. Phil's show producers contacted me months ago saying, David, we loved your interview about the addictiveness of casinos with an author who wrote about this named Natasha Dow Shull. And we want to use a clip for the show. We're going to feature you and Natasha. Can we do it? Sure. Yeah. My only requirement is let me air the clip on my show without filing a copyright claim. I think my audience would get a kick out of it months of legal work and negotiations and paperwork. I was imagining, wow, I mean, this there's so much lawyer time going into this. I'm sure this is going to be like a big feature. I think I'm on screen about four seconds. OK, don't look away because you might miss me. This is an episode, I guess, about gambling problems. Take a look. Casinos are deliberately designed like a maze to trap and confuse you. There's no clocks on the wall. You cannot help but be overwhelmed by the bombardment of sounds and light. You are getting a little dose of gambling in your brain every three seconds. It's a gambling IV. So you try to crowd objects bring the ceiling height down and create a sense of uh, sort of clutter, coziness, confusion. You're going to hear ding, 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 ding. It's going to light up, flash. What if those jingles and bells and whistles are actually there to encourage you to make risky decisions? You go into that trance, that zone, that box. Nobody can touch you. You have escaped from reality. No one can ask you for anything. So that that's it. Those four seconds, pretty underwhelming. So to me, the shock is the amount of paperwork for a few seconds of me on Dr. Phil. It must be a lawyer's dream to be clearing rights for these shows. If they spent two months, three months of legal work to get four seconds of me, I can't even imagine what's going on with, you know, copyrighted music or whatever else. So 
that was me on Dr. Phil. Um, I, I don't know what else to say. Maybe maybe it's interesting in some way. But uh, the backstory is lots and lots of legal negotiations to make it happen. We have a voicemail number on this show. Here's an interesting voicemail about something people have written to me about before my disclaimers. Uh, let's take a listen to what the caller has to say. Hey, David, I've got a New Year's resolution for you. Yes. How about no more of the disclaimers for idiots? Mm. All right. You don't have to explain every time that Chris Wallace is not our friend. The Lincoln Project is not our friend. Fox News are not our friends. Blah, 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 blah. If people on the left are too dumb to ever accept that maybe someone outside of their tribe yeah. has something reasonable to say from time to time, do you really want them to be a subscriber? So th this is completely fair. So they're referring to yesterday. I did a segment where Chris Wallace said one thing that made sense. And I kind of gave this disclaimer where I said, listen, I'm not saying Fox News is trustworthy. I'm not saying these are our friends. All I'm saying is Chris Wallace said one thing that that makes sense. Um, the reason I do those disclaimers is for my own sake. It's actually selfish. I'm being selfish when I do it, and I'll explain why. If I talk about um, different plans for health care and I say there's Medicare for all and there's this other type of plan, here are different types of plans. If I don't clarify I'm not saying I want for profit health, right? If I don't clarify that, I will get no exaggeration. 100 emails clogging my inbox from people saying, David, how dare you? How dare you support for profit health insurance? So the reason I give the disclaimer and I say, hey, I'm telling you something that exists. I'm not advocating for it. I will get 100 emails when I do the disclaimer. I only get 40. All right. It's merely greed that I don't know. It's not even greed. It's it's a, a concern for my own inbox. That's why I do the disclaimers. I agree that it's sad. I do. Um, but it is what it is. And if you saw what was going on with my inbox every day, you would also understand it. We have a great bonus show for you today. Get instant access by becoming a member at joinpacman.com. I'll speak to you on the bonus show. <laughs> 